Seven out of, see, I told you eight years this morning, no. you had no faith in me. I told him, I told him, I told him he was wrong. <laughs> Bottom line, it's been a long time. So long that I had forgotten I was here before. Shame on me. So, um, <clears throat> let me open my Bible. All right. So, well, good morning. Shalom. Uh, it is good to be back. And um, I just want to tell you a little bit about our ministry. I mean, a lot has happened in the last eight years. My goodness. Uh, we, uh, I've been with Chosen People Ministries for 20, almost 22 years. And um, Chosen People Ministries is a mission organization that uh, takes the gospel of Jesus to the Jewish people. Actually, in our mission statement, we exist to uh, uh, pray for, evangelize, disciple, and serve Jewish people and equip others to do the same. That's what we exist for. Uh, we have uh, uh, offices, branches, and congregations in 22 U.S. cities in 19 countries. We just added India this year to our list of countries where we have a presence. And when I, when I say a presence, I mean like either a couple or a family or even more uh, uh, in an area where there is enough of a Jewish community uh, that warrants a, uh, a presence for us to take the gospel to them. So it's very exciting. This year is our 125th anniversary. And I'm not the founder. <laughs> Uh, but uh, we, uh, we got started 125 years ago in the Holy Land, Brooklyn. Yeah. So it's, uh, that's, you know, it's most Jews in America are, you know, on the East Coast. And, and, uh, um, but anyway, it's been a great journey for us uh, with Chosen People Ministries. I currently serve, and I think probably was not the case last time I came, I currently serve as the Northwest regional director, and also uh, since uh, that's about the last six or some years, six, seven years, and also as a director of training for the whole mission in the U.S., you know, helping to train the new missionaries uh, or new ambassadors for Messiah, as I like to call them. And uh, so that, that's exciting to me because I see this as a, uh, an opportunity to uh, disciple the next generation. Uh, you know, I'm not getting any younger on Tuesday I'll be 60 so I'm you know I have at least another 25 to 30 years in me for being a missionary right missionaries and pastors we don't retire right that's right that's right well I, I don't want to retire I love what I'm doing um, so uh, I brought with me uh, a, a table there's uh, some books and materials and some artwork the artwork is actually prints and originals of what I have done. This My tent making as an artist, as a missionary, I do the art uh, as a tent making. So they're all prints and originals of my own artwork that I've done with Jewish themes and scriptures to uh, help people remember us and uh, uh, pray for our ministry, pray for uh, our, our family. And uh, it's uh, Jewish ministry is not an easy ministry because my people have been hurt so much for the last 2,000 years in the name of Christ, in the name of Christianity. There's a lot of anti-Semitism coming back full force right now, the hatred of the Jewish people for irrational reasons. Why? Because Satan is behind it. 
Satan hates the Jews. Why? Because God loves the Jewish people, the apple of his eye, the chosen people. We're not saved just because God loves us, but he has a special plan for the Jewish people. Amen? Amen. And, uh, but because Jewish people are not saved just because they're Jewish, we need people like us to take the gospel to them. My wife took the gospel to me 36, 37 years ago and uh, led me to the Lord before I could marry her. We well, want to marry her. She said, I don't think so. <laughs> Why not? She said, because you, we don't believe the same. She's not Jewish. Uh, and uh, eventually she led me to my Lord, to my Messiah. And now we are united in Christ. And that's wonderful. So that's not even part of my message. Um, but uh, it's uh, uh, today what I'm going to uh, be speaking about. Uh, and so in, anyway, I will invite you to come visit the table afterwards. And also, before I start uh, the message, you probably uh, should have gotten one of those little brochures. There's a little slip in that brochure. If you fill out the slip, uh, you can tell me a little bit about yourself. And you can also ask to receive our a monthly magazine for free, the Chosen People magazine. And the monthly prayer letter that uh, my wife and I write every month. It's about a page long. It tells you about what's going on in our life, in the ministry, and how you can specifically pray. You know, if there's a person that we've been working with, meeting, and, and led to the Lord, or there's a praise report. So it's a good way to get the news about the ministry in the magazine and the news about the Melnix in the letter. You get all both of those for free in your mail. Uh, you can also get them in an email. And there's also a place on this little slip to make donations with a credit card if you want. Uh, all of us from the president all the way down at Chosen People Ministries were all uh, missionaries who have to support, who have to raise our support. God has been very faithful and very, very gracious and very generous through churches like yours and many, many people to support us for the last 22 years. But we constantly need new supporters because some drop, some move, some stop. So if the Lord puts it on your heart to become partners with us, with Chosen People Ministries, you can do it on this little slip here and give it back to me before I leave today. Uh, or you can also donate online. But uh, consider prayerfully to do that because we always need new, uh, new uh, partners in ministry. Now... Some of you are going like, what are we going to talk about? The, 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 the Feast of Israel, is it still on the back? Oh, it's not on the screen anymore. The, the prophetic significance of the Feast of Israel. And you're thinking like, do we have to talk about this? <laughs> How does that concern me? You're right. Let's close with a word of prayer. No. 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 I have great things to share. And uh, you should have gotten a little uh, two-page uh, um, uh, program here and frankly I'm not going to cover all the scriptures on this but I want you to have it because if, if you're that kind of person that wants to go a little deeper on your studies it's going to give you a lot of information there uh, to, um, to look at the, uh, the Feast of Israel and um, I'll tell you why I think it's a great study is because it's going to tell us about God's faithfulness and also how God is uh, uh, you know, everything in Scripture has a purpose. And those feasts, when you look at them, you think, well, they're given to Israel, to the Jewish people, and you're thinking, I'm not Jewish. How does that concern me? That's a valid question. But what we're going to see today, hopefully, is that these feasts have a prophetic or typological uh, uh, meaning. They, they all point to a specific event in the redemptive, redemptive career of the Messiah. 
from his death all the way through the millennial kingdom. That's quite exciting, actually. The whole career of Messiah. And it's all laid out on this piece of paper. Um, what, what, we, uh, what we have here is uh, basically um, feasts and fasts. And uh, I want to give you the big picture, and that will really help understand several things. God's faithfulness, God's word, and how it pertains to us. And also, it's going to give us, believe it or not, I believe that from the Feast of Israel, we get our eschatology. What I mean by eschatology is the study of end times, the order of events of end times. So before we get into the Word, let me pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, beautiful description of what you call in your Word the Feast of the Lord. Holy convocations. Lord, we have lot to, a lot to learn from those but more than anything, we, we, we can look at those and see Yeshua, Jesus, and every aspect of his ministry and how it pertains to us believers. So thank you for that wonderful uh, uh, little uh, kept secret in Leviticus 23 of uh, little gems of scripture that we are about to unpack and appreciate this morning. We ask all this in Yeshua's name, in Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, I mean, when was last time you went to church and you went like, okay, we're going to do Leviticus 23? I mean, I know, I know. So, now, the feast, this is no reflection on you, Pastor, by the way. I'm sure you spent time in the Old Testament. Uh, 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 but uh, the feast divide into spring festivals and fall feast. Or sp you can call them feast or festival, but spring and fall. There's three in the spring and three in the fall, separated by a time in the summer with no festivals, no feast. Now, what's interesting is that the spring festival, as we're about to find out, have already taken place. And the second part, the fall festival, will take place in the future. Another thing that we find out is that the spring, <coughs> excuse me, the spring festivals have all been fulfilled in the first coming of Messiah, and the fall feast will be fulfilled in the second coming of Messiah. You believe he's coming back, right? Okay. <laughs> you know, my, <clears throat> excuse me, I might, uh, it might be good to have either a bottle or a cup of water uh, down the road here because for some reason I got <clears throat> a dry throat this morning. Thank you. Uh, my people, the Jewish people, don't believe in Jesus being the Messiah. So when, when we say he's coming back, to Jewish people, to the Jewish people who believe in the Messiah, they believe the Messiah will come one day, but that's not Jesus who's going to come back. That's a big difference. But we believe that. And uh, so we have those festivals, and um, they're divided into two groups. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. You see on your, on your little uh, uh, card here, on one side... Uh, they're divided into the spring festivals that have been fulfilled at the first coming of Yeshua and the fall feast that will be fulfilled at the second coming of Yeshua. If you break it down, uh, and I'm going to spend a little more time into the fall feast because some have been fulfilled, but I want to look at the ones that are promised for us to be fulfilled. Um, Passover uh, was fulfilled by the death of Messiah. I think last time I was here, we did the Passover uh, Seder. We, uh, we, uh, we did the... the uh, so that was all about the death of Messiah, the death and resurrection. Well, 
Passover in Leviticus 23, verses 4 through 8, is fulfilled by the death of Messiah. First fruit, um, Leviticus 9, I mean, it's always going to be chapter 23. So verses 9 through 14 is fulfilled by the resurrection of Messiah. And you have the connection here um, with uh, 1 Corinthians uh, for chapter 15 and 17 for the, uh, you know, Yeshua, Jesus being the first, first fruit of the resurrection. Then Pentecost is the birth of the body of Messiah. What's the body of Messiah? That's the church. Pentecost, interesting word. Greek, from the Greek, 50. Why is that? Well, because, you're asking good questions, because Pentecost takes place 49 days plus one after Passover, according to Jewish law. So seven weeks plus one day after Passover. Seven by seven is 49 plus 150. And in English, we got the word Pentecost. So the Feast of Pentecost is actually the a Jewish Feast of Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. That's, uh, that takes place in, uh, in the late spring, early summer. Those three, death of Messiah, resurrection of Messiah, birth of the church, took place already because Messiah has died, rose again, praise God for that, amen? amen. Rose again, and the body, Acts 2. In Acts 2, the body of Messiah, the church was born. Interesting, when you read Acts 2, you read about Jewish people getting together and then speaking in different languages. What's up with that? What's going on here? Well, they were getting together for the Feast of Shavuot. In Leviticus, uh, I believe it's... Uh, uh, I don't have the scripture here, but um, it's, uh, I think it might be 16. It tells us that three festivals out of the six festivals in the Jewish life cycle, three required for the Jewish people to go to Jerusalem. It was Passover, the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Those three, the Jewish people, wherever they were around Israel and even outside of Israel, were supposed to go back to Jerusalem to be near the temple to participate in that some sort of a pilgrimage uh, uh, festival uh, celebration. So Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, you're supposed to be in Jerusalem. Guess what? The Jewish people were coming to the Feast of Weeks at, Shavu, at the time of Shavuot, the time of, at that time, and they were coming from all around, speaking different languages. They got together, Acts 2, and they were speaking, understanding each other, each other one another, and that's because they were Jewish people from different, uh, different areas at that time in Jerusalem to give you the context of why they were there. So that's the first coming. The second, the second part is in the fall feast, and the fall feast will be fulfilled at the second coming of Yeshua. And the theme, the overarching theme of the fall festivals is the forgiveness of sin, which is a good thing, amen? amen? We like to talk about the forgiveness of sin, right? It's a real thing. Maybe you guys, have, none of you have ever sinned, but I'm glad for me, I have this option of forgiveness of sin. Yeah, right. Okay, so the theme is forgiveness, forgiveness of sin. Rosh Hashanah, which by the way was uh, Sunday. The New Year. 
Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? And will be fulfilled by the rapture of the body of Messiah, the Great Tribulation, and the ingathering of Messiah and the believers. Now, before you accuse me of setting dates, because you're looking like, wait a minute. Is he saying that the rapture is going to take place on Rosh Hashanah so we know the date of the rapture? He's a heretic. No, I don't say it's going to happen on the death. It's going to be fulfilled by it. There's a connection. It's the regathering of the believers, but I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it needs to happen on the date. We don't know the date. It could happen right now. The rapture could take place right now. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. This is what got me to believe in Jesus, by the way. I read a book called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hale Lindsay that my wife given me. At the time, she was not my wife. And I read the book, and when I got to the rapture, I go like, this is crazy, this is nonsense, this is stupid. I cannot believe this is going to happen. And I asked her that, did you believe that? She said, absolutely. I don't have all the details, but yes, we're all going to be taken out. And then those who don't believe are going to be left behind. That's why you need to come. And that's how I got to pray to receive the Lord, because of the rapture. So I'm praying, please, that I would actually experience the rapture. I mean, he might take me home before that, and that would be okay too, because in both cases, same destination, right? But I'd like to kind of experience, I don't even know if we're <laughs> Listen, do you think we're going to know when we're raptured? Do you think we're going to actually figure it out? Or in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be in God's presence. Do you think we're going to go like, oh, that was a cool ride? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, maybe, maybe. I think it's more important the destination than the ride. Anyway, I digress. Okay. So, when, he, when is he going to start talking about the feast? Okay. So, well, we are. We are. And uh, so, so, what's interesting, and, and you know, I, uh, I've always, when I looked at Scripture, before I even knew where to kind of peg myself, you know, as far as my theology before I went to Moody. I'm currently now going to Dallas Seminary for my master's, so I'm like bombarded with, with theology and, and Bible study. But before I knew all that, when I read my Bible, it always made sense to me, and not everybody agrees, but it always made sense to me that there was going to be a rapture, and then there was going to be a seven-year-long tribulation, and there was going to be a thousand-year-long thousand millennial kingdom where... Christ reigns in the kingdom, and then the eternal order, which is forever. I, I always sat in that order, okay? And I know people d agree and disagree and have different views on that. Uh, <clears throat> the important part is knowing that we are going to be part of God's kingdom and we're going to be in God's presence uh, for all eternity. But when I look at the order of the Jewish festivals, the first time I kind of, this whole thing gelled, I'm going like, wait a minute. This is kind of cool because it confirms what I've got from other parts of the Bible. The fact that first Messiah is going to die for his people. I mean, for, you know, for the whole world as, as the atoning sacrifice for Jews and Gentiles. So first, you, you, you know, uh, Messiah is going to die. Then there is a resurrection. You cannot have a resurrection before death. That makes no sense. And then after that, he's going, the, the, the church, the body of Messiah, the followers, the disciples, are going to congregate together and form into this universal body of people from all, all around the world being in the body of Messiah, the ecclesia, the church. And then there's a short time 
in between. And then there's going to be the regathering of the believer, the uh, chastising, really, of Israel in the Great Tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, mostly of Israel, but also Gentiles. And then the ingathering of, of, of all the believers with Messiah and the Messianic kingdom. So I'm thinking, wow, look at that. Death, resurrection, birth of the church, church age, regathering of the believer, tribulation, ingathering in the millennial kingdom. To me, when I look at the order of the Jewish festivals and their connection with the verses that I've given you here for your own personal study, because we won't have time to read them all this morning, to me, I look at this and I go, it confirms my eschatology. That he's going to die, rise again, birth of the church, in gathering of the believers, of regathering of the believers, tribulation, time of chastising and disciplining, and then the millennial kingdom right before the entry into uh, um, <clears throat> God's eternal order. So that, that got me excited. So that's, that's just for that. Let's turn the page and uh, talk a little bit about uh, the festivals that are coming. Now we are right now in... Uh, if you look right on, on, the, on your sheet of paper, probably in the second, third, right under Rosh Hashanah will be fulfilled by the rapture. And again, don't, don't connect an exact date on that. Don't panic. Uh, you see Yomim Noraim, the 10 days of awe. Right now, we are in the 10 days of awe. 10 days after, Yom, after Rosh Hashanah, the new year, Rosh Hashanah. Rosh means head in Hebrew. Hashanah, the year. The year. Head of the year. Hence, the new year. Okay? Ten days after the Rosh Hashanah, the new year, we have Yom Kippur, the day of covering, the day of atonement. Yom means day. And Kippur means covering. So right now we are in the ten days of awe. Those ten days of awe are not found in Leviticus 23. So, so what's the big fuss? Well, I want to tell you a little bit about Jewish history. The ten days that have been created by the rabbis. It's part of rabbinic Judaism, not biblical Judaism. Now, rabbinic Judaism <coughs> has a lot of good to say. I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of good uh, tradition. Uh, rabbinic uh, Judaism is also very rigid, very strict. The Mosaic law is still in effect, and according to rabbinic Judaism. How many laws in the Old Testament? 613. No, I didn't count them. I just know because Jewish people are told that the Torah has 613 do's and don'ts. And there's more don'ts than do's, just in case you wanted to know. So the Ten Commandments are really just the ten written by the finger of God on tablets of stone. But total of 613, and the rabbis built laws around the law and built laws around the laws that were around the law to not break the law, to not break the laws around the law. And that, seriously, and at the end of the day, when all those laws were written to protect the law, to protect the law that protects the law, then we have what's known as the Talmud, a Jewish body of writing that is an incredibly complicated, heavy series of books to read to find out that you're not going to break the law or you could be, you know, in trouble. So, that is, Rabbinic Judaism added the 10 days of awe. During the 10 days of awe, right now, Jewish people, not like me, because I'm, I'm Jewish, but I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I've been saved by grace through faith. I mean, I'm just like you, except Jewish. <clears throat> the 10 days of awe, it's a time when people actually 
go out of their way to email, telephone, send letter, make personal visits to their friends to say, if I have offended you since last Rosh Hashanah, please forgive me. It's a time of repentance. You go to your friends. There's nothing wrong with that. But the, the reason behind it is performance. See, we, 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 we look at it from the other end. We are saved by grace. There's nothing you or I can do to be saved, amen? Except believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And after that, not for performance, but because we're grateful, we want to serve. We want to perform as a great, grateful thank you to the Lord. I want to do this for you, Lord, but I know even doing it now is not going to get me in a better position than where I was because I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed. Well, Jewish people perform in those 10 days of all, thinking that they're going to be inscribed in a good book. See, they believe, my people believe that during the, the, the days between Rosh Hashanah, which is a few days ago, and Yom Kippur, which is in a couple of days, God opens three books in, in heaven. The book of the wicked, the book of the in-between, and the book can like a Jewish purgatory, so to speak, which is, you know, purgatory is not biblical. And <clears throat> the book of the righteous. So Jewish people think, hey, I don't want to be in the book of the wicked because that's not a good place to be for the next year. Every year, you know, it's like it's a bad year, okay? And I don't think if I say I'm going to be in the book of the righteous, I'm prideful, I'm probably going to end up just for saying that, so I'm going to end up in the book of the wicked. So that's not safe. But if I could make it in the book of the in-between, I'm, you know, I'll perform throughout the year works, performance, you know, rabbinic Judaism, modern Judaism. So I'll be inscribed in that book. It's for 365 days, and then we start again. So we try to do better this year than last year. And it's very sad. And, uh, <clears throat> but I've talked to my family and the Jewish people as I do evangelism. I said, you know... I understand you want to be inscribed in the book. And actually, in, in Rosh Hashanah card, if you go to Hallmark to, a, to, to get a card for your Jewish friend, Jewish family, co-worker, it, very often it will say, may you be inscribed for a good year. That's where it's from. People go like, what does that mean, inscribed in what? In one of those three books. May you be inscribed. Lashana Tova Tikativu. Happy New Year. May you be inscribed for a new year. That's what it says. And that's, it's, it's uh, superstition when you think about it. And so I tell my Jewish friends, listen, I know what book I'm inscribed in. It's the Lamb's Book of Life. I remember the first time I used that phrase. I was in France. I had been saved for minutes. And my wife said, let's call my dad in California and, and tell him. And she wrote on a piece of paper, Mr. Harvey was not dad yet. Mr. Harvey. And so I, I take this piece of paper and I'm on the phone. I go, it's like middle of the night for us. And I go, Mr. Harvey, I just want you to know that... Um, Tonight, God inscribed my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. She could have just said, tonight I received Jesus. She had to make it complicated, you know. <laughs> so it's like 36 years ago, my English was not that good. The Lamb's Book of Life, I had no idea what I was saying. <laughs> but, you know, I trusted my wife to this day. I still trust her. <laughs> just, in, just in case we're being recorded here or something. <laughs> so those 10 days are... Very important for Jewish people. They will go out of their way to reconcile, to ask for forgiveness. 
Um, so it's, it's where we are right now. Let's go, let's go back up the page. Feast of Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpet. And uh, there's really not much, actually, when you read in Leviticus about the, uh, the Feast of, of Rosh Hashanah. Uh, there's like uh, four verses, uh, verses 23 through 25. The Lord said to Moses, said to the Israelite, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. Boom, done, that's it. You have no idea how many laws have been added to this by my people just to make sure we do what we're told. I mean, when we're told not to do any work, oh, do you know what that includes? No driving, no turning the light, no... Uh, my mother passed away last Sunday. She was 92. I led her to the Lord seven years ago. Rejoice for her. Rejoice for her. And my dad the same day. Both of them are with the Lord now. They're together again. Praise God. But my two nieces in Paris, it happened, they had to go say goodbye to grandma at the hospital before she passed away. One of my nieces walked an hour and a half from synagogue on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, to go see her grandma in the hospital. And my other one walked six hours because of the Jewish law. And then my nephew, who is in New York right now, uh, working with, he's a, a pastry chef, uh, the three kids of my, my sister's three kids, my nephew is also religious, was told by the rabbi in New York, it's the Sabbath and it's the eve of Rosh Hashanah, you cannot go back to France right now, you would break the law. So my nephew could not say goodbye to his grandma. Did that get me upset? Yes, absolutely. I haven't told him yet because it's not the right time. But that's the bondage of the law. I am so grateful to be free from that. But that saddens me that this is how far, and it goes even further than that. So it's, it's really, really sad. Uh, the, the, the Feast of, uh, of Rosh Hashanah, um, the Feast of Trumpet, we blow the shofar. The shofar is the ram's horn. And uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the tradition of the synagogue, we blow it a hundred times. And uh, I have a shofar on my shelf in my office. If I was to try to blow it, unfortunately, it sounds more like a duck call for me. <laughs> I have never been very musically inclined, uh, and I love music. I listen to it all the time, but I cannot produce it. I can only consume it. <laughs> so it's me, okay? But we blow. We blow the shofar, and the last blow is known as the tekiah gedola, the great, the great sounding, the, the, the last trumpet. And we, in, the, 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 in the synagogue, they always find somebody who really has big lungs and can play it well, and so we 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 play like ta 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 and then like ta ta ta, and the last one is as long as you can have breath to play, you know, twenty thirty seconds. It's it it everybody is like wow, it's wonderful. It's the last trumpet of Rosh Hashanah, and that happened a few days ago. And what's interesting is that prophetically, we read in First Thessalonians fourteen thirteen through eighteen, and in First Corinthians fifteen through fifteen through fifty eight. And the key verses are actually verses 16 and verse 52 uh, accordingly about the blowing of the trumpet when Yeshua comes back for the rapture. When he, when he comes back to, uh, you know, returns to, get us, uh, to gather us in the sky, there's going to be a blowing of the trumpet, the last trumpet, known as the Tekiah Gedola. But it cannot be, some people say, oh, it's the trumpet of Revelation, and that's like changing their eschatology. Why can it not be the trumpet of Revelation? Well, because the book of Corinthians and Thessalonians both were written way before the book of Revelation was written. 
So it cannot be speaking of the last trumpet of Revelation. It's the last trumpet of the Feast of Rosh Hashanah. That's, that's one of the connections here between Rosh Hashanah and, um, and, uh, and the rapture and the uh, gathering of the believers. So uh, what we do for Rosh Hashanah, we eat sweet. We, uh, we dip apple slices in honey. Why? Well, it's a symbol of, you know, a new year that's going to start in sweetness. It's going to be sweet for the whole year. We have every single Jewish festival has food connected to it. We love to eat. The Jews love to eat. And the way to summarize the Jewish life cycle is basically each festival is connected also to a time where people try to kill us and then God sustained us, protected us. So the way we look at it is, you know, they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. That's the Jewish life cycle. <laughs> if she, I could have just said that, it would have been a lot shorter, but no. So that's Rosh Hashanah. We usually, the believers like myself, we, it's good to use Rosh Hashanah to reflect on our own walk with the Lord. So we move to, uh, to Yom Kippur. So we have Yomi Moraim, the 10 days of our prayer, repentance, charity. It's a rabbinic edition, the three books of the righteous. I just told you, righteous, wicked, and in between. And it's good to use the 10 days of our to pray for your loved ones who are without Messiah. I usually take the time to remember my family members. In my family, only my mom and dad are believers, and praise God, because they're with them now. But my sister, or three kids, and anybody else in my family, I'm still working on them. So if you remember me in your prayer, uh, you know, pray for our ministry and pray for my family. They're not, they're not believers yet. I'm going to be with my sister. I was not able to go back for my mother's funeral. It took place very quickly because of the Jewish uh, festival at, at this time on the calendar. So I was not able to say goodbye or to go to the funeral. It was a little different. But um, I keep focusing on where she is right now. And I, I praise God for that. She was a Holocaust survivor. So for her to have gone through all that and then be with Jesus now, Thank you. So Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So uh, um, Leviticus 23, 26, which 32. What time do I have to be done? I don't have a meeting until 6 o'clock in Soap Lake tonight. So. so, okay. All right. I, well, it's, uh, it's Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a fast, but it's not for another three days. So we still have time to bring in the pizza, okay? <laughs> and plenty of bacon, please. I'm under grace. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I only come once every eight years. <laughs> the Day of Atonement. The Lord said to Moses, the tenth day of the seventh month, the day of atonement, hold the sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Keep the word deny yourself. Keep that in the back of your mind. It's a different Yom Kippur is a fast, not a feast. Do not do any work on that day because it is a day of atonement when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. Those who do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from their people. You know what, me, what it means to be cut off back in the Old Testament? Dead. That's what it means. It's not just ostracized. To be cut off from Israel means dead. And even if it's, they don't kill you, back in those days, if you're ostracized from the community, you have no means of survival. It's very, very hard. I will destroy from among their people anyone who does any work on that day. Well, there you have it. You shall do no work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance 
for the generations to come, wherever you live. It is a day of Sabbath rest for you, and you must deny yourselves. Three times it says that. From the evening to the, uh, of the ninth day of the month until the following evening, you are to observe your Sabbath. Do you understand why my family is taking this seriously? I mean, God is going to kill them, they believe, if they fail. Now, of course, if they lie in between, he will forgive that. Or if they smoke a cigarette when they're not supposed to smoke a cigarette because it's considered work. But if they're smokers, in France, everybody smokes just about. So don't, don't judge me. Okay? I, I, I don't. I used to, but I don't anymore. But the point is, you're not supposed to smoke because it's work. But they will just kind of justify. Again, the hypocrisy, you know, keeping the law, what we think God is going to do big ones, you know, like if I don't do this, that, that God is going to be okay. But on the little stuff, God is going to be lenient. It's not the way it works. But this is very sad. So here, this Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, uh, uh, we get a big, big picture of what happens back in the days of the temple in Leviticus 16, verses 1 through 34. I think it's in your notes. Uh, yeah. And the, the priest would go, I mean, the Holy of Holies was, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was with the mercy seat and, 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 and the whole thing in that little back inside of, of, of the temple or the tabernacle, the priest, the high priest, could only go there once a year for one day. Talk about a special place, the Holy of Holies. They would tie a rope around his leg. Why is that? Is he going to escape or something? No, it's the opposite. If, you know, you would have the blood of the two goats, you would sacrifice a goat, they take the goat of one to sacrifice for the people of Israel, put the goat, on, the blood on one goat onto the next one, and the next one, known as Azazel in, in Hebrew, this goat he would send in the wilderness to go to its death, and that would take the sins of Israel on Yom Kippur away. And then he would go into the Holy of Holy with this cup, and if you go to Israel, I'll be in Israel next week actually for 10 days, I'm taking a group there, that we go to the Temple Institute, and the Temple Institute, they have remade everything for the third temple, which will be rebuilt. That's not one that God agrees with, because it's going to be desecrated by the Antichrist in the middle of the tribulation, and it's going to be destroyed. The fourth temple at the end of uh, Ezekiel is the one that, that's the good one, the one that God is going to bring down from heaven. Anyway, too much information, sorry, I get excited. The priest gets this cup like this with the blood of the, uh, of the goat. Why is it like this? Because he's not supposed to put it down. He cannot put it down. It won't sit anywhere. He's supposed to always carry it and then sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat for the, for the, for, for, to forgive the sins. And if he makes one mistake, if he sprinkles the wrong way or too much or not enough, God is going to zap him. Nobody can go in the Holy of Holies back in the temple, but the holy, but the uh, the high priest, and once a day, I mean once a year. So if he dies in there, it's a problem. So if he die, if he's, you know, it's been two hours and he's not back. Well, <laughs> seriously, that that's the way they would bring him back because nobody can go get him or knock on the curtain. Or, uh, so that was, that was what, what, what took place back then. A very important day of fasting. We break the fast on the eve. The, uh, in Jewish tradition, uh, the things happened the night before. So Sunday night last week was Erev Rosh Hashanah, the eve of Rosh Hashanah, from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. A, a, a day always starts the evening before. 
So the evening before Yom Kippur, I believe, will be uh, will be Wednesday night. If I'm maybe Tuesday night, I don't have the calendar in my head, but maybe Wednesday night until Thursday night. And Thursday night, we get together either in the synagogue or in the home, or and we break the fast. And again, lots of food. So. Biblically, uh, that's that. Rabbinically, the day when God decides the fate of the Jewish people. On Yom Kippur, this is when God says, okay, you go in that book, you go in this book. So Jewish people are terrified. They want to be on their best behavior. Uh, fasting, uh, no comfortable shoes, no comfortable clothes, no bathing, no perfume. It's a day of affliction. That's what you're supposed to do. Uh, uh, now, of course, today there's no temple, no sacrifice, no atonement. So how do you deal with that? That's a problem for the Jewish people. Temple was destroyed 70 AD. No temple to do sacrifice. Uh, so no atonement. There was a rabbi who actually got together with a bunch of rabbis. And uh, his name was Yohanan ben Zakkai. And he said uh, it was in 90 AD, 20 years after the temple was destroyed. He said, okay, we don't have a temple anymore. We cannot do sacrifice. We cannot do atonement. So we have to change everything. So he is responsible for the creation of what we know today as rabbinic uh, Judaism. He said we can no longer do sacrifice because temple doesn't exist. So now uh, Judaism will be done through works, prayer, uh, fasting, and good deeds. Works, basically. So prayer, fasting, and good deeds. And to this day, this is what Judaism is all about. Jewish people, like my family, I just gave you some live example of what's happening with my own family for my mother's death and funeral. Very, very sad. The bondage of the, of the Jewish law. But who gave Rabbi Ben Zakkai the right to rewrite God's word? Nobody said this is the way it's going to be. He said that. But really, the fact that there is no temple is because we don't need a temple anymore because Yeshua replaces that. We have free access to God through him. Amen? Of course, that, that's not what my people believe in yet. Uh, so, um, but when I, when I talk to my Jewish people, I tell them, I said, listen, how can you atone for your sins? And, well, you know, good deeds and work, and, but you can't do any sacrifice. And it says you're supposed to be doing sacrifice. So how do you do that? They don't have an answer. Even Rabbi Ben Zakkai on his deathbed, he was talking to one of his disciples. It's recorded somewhere in the Talmud. Don't ask me for where because it's about 17 volumes. So, but it's, it's recorded that Rabbi Ben Zakkai said on his deathbed, today I am going to meet my maker and I, even I, do not know which way I'm going to go. The man who restructured Judaism to be a a religion of works and good deeds. And, and there's nothing wrong with works, again. On the right side of salvation, it's good. Uh, not to attain salvation. Uh, good deeds, works, prayer, fasting, all things are all good, but not to receive salvation, but to thank the Lord because we have received salvation that we don't deserve. That's a big difference. So, prophetically, this is connected to the great tribulation, the time of, of Jacob's trouble, the time where uh, we're going to see the affliction of the body of Israel and the affliction of the soul of Israel uh, during the great tribulation. Uh, during the great tribulation, a lot of Jewish people are going to die. Actually, it says in Zechariah 13.9, if I did not write that, yeah, it is on the, uh, on the, on the notes. In Zechariah 13.8 and 9, it says that during the tribulation, two-thirds of the Jewish people are going to perish and one-third is going to be refined as silver and as gold. That one-third, you know, I believe that the Jewish people during the tribulation will all be back in the land of Israel. And guess what? We are seeing 
unprecedented uh, exodus, that's a strong word, uh, 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 immigration of Jewish people from all over the world, and especially from Western Europe, where really there was not much of an immigration before, little numbers, but because of what's happening with anti-Semitism, a lot of Jews are going back. France, where I'm from, in the last 10 years, I've seen more Jews going back to Israel than, than the 30 years prior. Amazing. So we are living in the days of Ezekiel, chapter 36 through 40. The Jews are going back to the land in unbelief. But then we have the Valley of Dry Bones. They're going to come to, to belief. But before the Jewish people come to believe in the Messiah at the end of the tribulation, when all Jewish people together in, in, in Israel will look up and say, Baruch haba, Bashem Adonai, blessed is you, comes in the name of the Lord. And that's when Jesus comes back. That's the second coming. Rapture took place before that. He doesn't really come down in a rapture. He comes in the air. We go with him. Then we're for a time. And then we, with him, on horses, come back. Okay, you don't have to agree with my eschatology. Not everybody, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, but... Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. The Bible is right, okay. We'll leave it at that. And then you, you, find, you find your place in there. Uh, but uh, where was I? Yeah, so the affliction of the Jewish people, two-thirds of the Jewish people, and I'm, I'm almost done, thank you for your patience. Two-thirds of the Jewish people are going to die. I used to read this and go like, this is terrible. I'm a child of a Holocaust survivor. We have seen horrors, tragedy, six million Jews. Today, we have less Jewish people in the world than we had before the Holocaust. 18 million Jews before the Holocaust, 12 million after that. This year, today, we have about 15 million Jews in the world. We haven't gone back to the numbers of pre-Holocaust Jew, uh, Jewish population. It's tragic. And two-thirds of that, what's two-thirds of 15? That's 10 million. If it was to happen today, if all the Jews were back in the land, that's two, 10 million Jews. Every time I run into this in my devotional time or in the study or something, I'm going like, this is really sad. And then my wife, she's the wise one. My wife, several years ago, told me, Olivier, you know that when God wants to give us numbers, he gives us numbers. You know, the 144,000, the 40 days, seven days, the six days, the, the, the 12 tribes, the, 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 and all those things, okay? When he wants to give us numbers in the chronicles about, you know, the battles, exact numbers. But here, he's only given us a percentage. And I go, so? She goes, well, if we get Jewish people saved, that number will be smaller because they'll go with us before the tribulation. And I'm like, oh, that's good, honey. Can I use that? She said, yes. But promise me that you'll say, you didn't come up with it, but I did not. <laughs> so, that gets me excited. And that gets me going to do what I do, to take the gospel to Jewish people. Because as many as we can get now will not go through the tribulation. And that two-thirds, one-third will reduce from 10 million to a smaller number. I don't know that number, but our job is to make it smaller. Amen. And that's why you pray and support people like us. So, one more. The Feast of Tabernacle. And then we'll be done. Leviticus 23, 33 through 43. It's a full harvest, an agricultural uh, feast. Uh, you can read the scripture uh, uh, um, on your own. But that scripture talks about building booth. Uh, and we actually, right now, all over the world where there are Jewish people, they're building little wooden booths. 
usually rectangular with an open roof with palm branches or whatever area of the world you live in. Uh, and we live in those booths, weather permitting, and eat and uh, do our daily activity. I mean, you don't really sleep in them unless you, you do it more symbolically now. But you take your meals and you invite the less fortunate. It's kind of like a Jewish Thanksgiving. Uh, and uh, uh, right now, uh, my sister and her kids are building one in her backyard in Paris. I'm going to be in Israel next week on the last two days of the Feast of Tabernacles. So I'm going to see some of those booths. Everywhere we go, we'll see those little booths, those little huts. Uh, it's, and, and it's to remind us of our wandering in the desert. The 40 years of uh, uh, desert wandering when God protected us and provided for us. Uh, that's why when my wife grew up camping, she loves camping, she loves backpacking in the Sierras in California, and I just can't stand camping. I tell her, my view of camping is one pillow at the hotel instead of two. And, and she goes, why? I said, because we paid our dues. 40 years, I don't want to camp anymore. So I don't like camping. I just don't like camping. But... Uh, this is a beautiful feast, and this is a, a, a the, the prophetic significance is that it's a time of in gathering, and uh, uh, so Sukkot will be Sukkot, the feast of, of tabernacles, of the feast of in gathering, will be um, uh, fulfilled by the millennial kingdom. I want to read two scriptures to you that I think is so are so cool. There, there are a couple of, 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 of things that happen in the days of Jesus, and I, I will finish with that. Um, uh, there's two things that took place in the days of the temple when Jesus actually was walking this earth. One was called, and it's in your notes on the bottom of, pa of page two, one was called the water libations, and one was called the torch ceremony. Uh, water libations, water was poured on the altar to symbolize that one day the whole world will know God through the Messiah. Okay? And the, the other one was a torch ceremony. Levites marched all the way down to the temple mount for a long time, actually, there was a long procession, uh, with torches to symbolize the coming of Messiah to light the whole world. Okay? So that was a symbolism in Judaism. Okay? So, now, we have, let's go to John, if you want to go to your Bible, John 7, 38 and 39. John 7, 38 and 39. 7, 38, let's see. Now, you, you read from the NIV, right? Yes. Yeah. I usually use the NASB. That's the Bible that G Jesus used, but uh, uh, <laughs> I'll use any, the NIV for... They're, they're both good. I'm just messing with you. Uh, John 7, 38 and 39. Uh, well, let me start with 37. On the last day and greatest day of the festival, and that is a reference to the Feast of... of uh, usually when you see the, 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 uh, the, 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 the festival, it's actually a description of Sukkot. Right there in the context is definitely that. On the last day and greatest day of the festival, which is an eight-day long, um, uh, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of mayim chayim, living water, will flow from within them. When he said that, they were pouring water on the altar, saying that one day the Messiah is going to come redeem us. And Jesus is right there next to the priest and the Levites going, Hello? He had to be rejected by his own people, otherwise he would not qualify to be the Messiah. But the point is that some believed in him. 
All throughout, there's been a, a, a remnant of Jewish believers. So here he's saying, you're pouring the waters to signify that one day Messiah will come. I am he. And then, go to John 8, 12, just a little further down. That's 9, 12, John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again, it's the same area, okay, uh, in between is the adulterous woman, that passage that some people believe is actually out of place. It's not important, but it's, it's God's word. Uh, but anyway, right after that passage I just read you comes John 8, 12. If you take the adulterous woman out and place it slightly differently in the Bible, it's not that important. We're not going to fight over that. But John 8, 12 says, when Jesus spoke again, same group of people, to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Wow. So they're bringing the water on the altar, and he's saying, if you drink, you will never thirst again. I am the water of life. Mayim chayim, living water. And right after that, as they bring the torches during, during a, a Sukkot, he's going like, I am the light of the world. So he's telling them twice, Hello, look at me. I am the Messiah. I have come. That's so powerful. So powerful. So, I could keep going, but basically when I, I, I want to wrap this up. Uh, the feast, by the way, even though they were given to Israel back in the Old Testament, they were really not ever called the feast of Israel or the feast of the Jewish people. They're called the feast of the Lord. So if they're called the Feast of the Lord and we love the Lord and we want to serve the Lord and worship the Lord, I'm not saying you're all going to have to you know, practice Judaism. No, I'm just saying that there's got to be something in there to find that can be connecting the dots a little further for us. And I think what it is, is God's faithfulness and God's program for mankind and for the Jewish people in that order. And the fact that in the, in, if, if the first spring festivals were fulfilled literally by the death, Passover, resurrection, first fruit, and birth of the church, Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, Pentecost. And then there is a time in between. And then we have no reason to believe that the fall festivals will not be fulfilled literally. There will be a regathering of the believers, a disciplining, chastising during the tribulation, and then a ingathering of Yeshua the Messiah in Jerusalem, in the millennial kingdom. Interestingly enough, in the middle of the three feast and the threefold festival, there's one verse in Leviticus 23 that really doesn't fit either with the top or with the bottom. In its verse, I'm going to go back to it. And this is my last thing, I promise. You know, when a preacher says, in conclusion, don't believe them. <laughs> 22, verse 22 of Leviticus, at the end of the passage on the Feast of Weeks. So, after the church is born, then we have a time with no festivals until the fall feast, which was a, a few days ago, the summertime. And after the church is born, and before... We're taken. What is supposed to take place? Well, 
When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. It's talking about reaping. It's talking about harvesting. What are we supposed to do from the moment the church was born to the moment the church is going to be taken back to be with God? Reaping a harvest of souls. That verse does not connect to either uh, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, or to the Festival of Trumpets. It's there in the middle somewhere, but it connects the first three with the next three because in after the birth of the church and before the taking of the church or the believers, we are supposed to take the gospel to the whole world. So, my friends, thank you for having me. Look forward to the next uh, eight years. Then, in, <laughs> seven and a half. So, seven and a half. Thank you for correcting me. Thank you. My challenge to you is we, we have a very difficult uh, ministry because my people are gospel resistant. Uh, and, uh, but I wouldn't do anything else. Um, but if you've been blessed this morning in seeing how everything has a purpose in the Bible, everything is connected, and it's a reason to, to really praise God for the details. He's a God of details, not a God of confusion, and a God of order. And uh, if you've been blessed, well... I'd ask that you would uh, remember to pray for us. And even if the Lord puts it on your heart to become prayer partners and uh, financial partners, uh, we need them. We, we need you. It ke- we keep going. And believe me, there is less and less churches today who are interested in doing anything for Israel and the Jewish people. It is so difficult when we call a church and say, no, we're not interested. We, we're not committed. You know, we, we boycott Israel. We, uh, we want nothing to do with the Jews. It's so depressing, so difficult. And then I find a church here in Davenport, in the middle of Washington State. You're not a big church by any, you know, you're, you're a, little, a little church. I mean, nothing, nothing bad. But, and then you love my people, and you love Israel. Why? Because you read your Bible. <laughs> That's it. You read your Bible, so it's on every page. But it, it never says anywhere that we're saved just because we're Jewish. Nicodemus was wrong. John 3. Jesus told him you have to be born again to be saved. So please help us. This is what we want to continue doing. This is what my wife and I have, have committed to do until God calls us. And we need you. Lord, thank you for this uh, time together. Thank you for my friends here who love you. And because they love you, they love your people Israel. And they want to see more Jewish people get saved. So Lord, uh, continue using my wife and I, uh, Ellen, uh, in any capacity you want to take your gospel, to, uh, to, to pray for, to uh, evangelize, to disciple, to serve Jewish people, and to help others in every churches uh, do the same. Lord, thank you for even caring enough to send your, your son to die for us, and thank you for caring enough that you would want us to be part of your plan that you would help you would you would allow us to be blessed to to contribute to the growth of your kingdom by getting people saved in yeshua's name in jesus name we pray amen